0: In this episode, Tom Wilson chats with Richie Mulder, the co-founder of Carbon Halo, about the business of carbon offsetting. Learn about carbon credits, and how the surfing world can integrate them as part of a sustainable business model. We're here today with Richie Mulder from Carbon Halo. G'day Richie, thanks for joining us. Tom, how are you doing? I apologise in advance if you can hear rainbow lorikeets or cockatoos because they're just outside the window, but that adds to the, uh, the Australian ambience, I guess. And you're based in
1: Brisbane, is that right? Yeah, based in Brisbane, living on the Gold Coast.
0: Um, so can you just tell us a little bit about Carbon Halo and what you do and how you started?
1: So uh, Carbon Halo is uh, an environmental organisation uh, specifically with focus on uh, climate. Now, um, <clears throat> the aim of Carbon Halo is really around taking carbon complexity and simplifying it. Uh, and to give you an idea, a small to medium business, um, they may be passionate and, or want to do something about climate. And this also applies to individuals, but they just don't know where to start. So. That's where Carbon Halo comes in, as we simplify it and make it really easy uh, for these uh, businesses and individuals to take climate action. In terms of how we started, uh, co-founder and I, um, both of us grew up in Wollongong and uh, surfing around the farm area, um, down at Cowries and all all those places, so I absolutely loved it. Um, But over time, like when we're young, you don't really notice what's happening or to the the beaches, but recently going back down there, you see like a lot of it's eroded, it's completely gone. There's something going on in the background. And when you're young, you don't really take that much notice of it. And it's just, oh, this is everyday life, you know. Um, But as you get older, that responsibility for the future generations kind of kicks in, particularly when you start having kids. So Dave and I, we we just found it a, a real barrier for small business and individuals To do something is just too expensive and it was just too hard so we thought we've got to do something about it so let's make it a lot simpler hence carbon halo was put together so we've got a real focus around that and um we can talk about it today and, and what carbon offsetting means and carbon credits and other initiatives that we're running great thanks we hear a lot about carbon offsets and carbon
0: credits in the media And if you don't mind just explaining, you know, in layman's terms, how carbon offsets operate, what they are, uh,
1: just for someone who's never heard of them before. Um, So a carbon credit and carbon offset, um, the terminology is used interchangeably. Uh, So you'll hear it mixed in in different uh, types of uh, context. Um, but really it broadly refers to um, the reduction in uh, greenhouse gases um, or what we call CO2 or carbon dioxide. And so it's either the the reduction or the capture or storage of um, those gases somehow. So essentially what they've done is they've got it to a point where they they say, okay, it's a digital tradable certificate which uh, equates to um, one metric tonne equals one carbon credit or one carbon offset. And for simplicity, so you don't have to do the math, right? So one metric ton equals one carbon credit or offset. Now, you've got offsets which are certified and non-certified. Planting trees, you can go out to your backyard and plant trees and and essentially you're creating a carbon offset because the tree will grow up eventually and take carbon in, but it's not certified. Anyone can go and plant a tree. So a certified uh, carbon offset means that uh, the project that is running them has to go through uh, pretty strict regulatory requirements and uh, quantification and it's not easy to get a project certified to do that. But once it is certified then uh, it gets put onto a registry which is administered by a government body or an international standards organisation. Um, In Australia, it's uh, the Clean Energy Regulator, um, which is administered by the Australian Emissions Registry Unit. Mm -hmm. So there's a number of different bodies. Um, And they administer the the buying and the selling of these carbon credits. So that's essentially what a carbon credit and carbon offset is.
0: Right. And am I right in saying that you talked about certified carbon credits? And Carbon Halo, your organisation...
1: Provide certified carbon credits. Yeah, correct. So there's criteria that we will only look at, um, and that is that it has to be registered with the Clean Energy Regulator in Australia. Um, there are international bodies, uh, VERA or VCS, um, which is Verified Carbon Standard, Gold Standard, which is um, an organisation that has the Global Sustainability Goals, um, UNFCCC, um, which is the United Nations Framework for... Uh, climate change, um, and Red REDD+. Um, so there's a number of different standards that we will only look at, mm. and they've got to meet uh, that criteria.
0: Great. Okay. So if there's somebody offering uncertified carbon credits, I guess that, is that a red flag, and does that happen
1: often? Um, uncertified carbon credits is essentially kind of like a donation. So <clears throat> you'll have some pretty good tree planting initiatives. And, and I know there's some in Southeast Queensland that we, that we see, they're, they're not certified, they're doing a great, great work. But for a business or an individual that wants to turn around and say, um, our business is carbon neutral or our product is carbon neutral, um, you can't use uncertified carbon credits to make that claim. So, and the way that works to be carbon neutral is essentially that Uh, you need to first measure um, an an idea, uh, to give you an idea, if you look at a a surfboard, for instance, you measure the carbon footprint of the manufacturing of the surfboard and its embodied carbon and what the life cycle carbon is of it. The organisation that's manufacturing or distributing will look at how they can reduce that carbon footprint of that product And once they've done their best to do that and they can't get rid of anything else, we call that unavoidable carbon emissions, you can then use the carbon offsets or carbon credits to balance it to zero. Now you can't claim the net zero because you're still generating carbon, but the product in itself is effectively carbon neutral. So you've done what you can to reduce and then you're offsetting whatever is left
0: over. Okay, so my understanding is if you are an organisation, say, producing surfing equipment, you do your best to reduce your, your carbon footprint and your emissions. And whatever is unavoidable, that's when
1: um, paying for carbon credits comes in. Correct. Yeah, so there is a danger there where, um, and we have seen it in some instances, where a business will measure their carbon footprint, which is great, it's a good start, uh, but then just go on offset everything without changing the Mm behaviour. And that comes under a terminology called greenwashing. Essentially, it's not good practice. I mean, reputationally for a brand, it's not real great. Um, You need to change the way you think, and you need to be changing your your behaviours or your processes to reduce the emissions. It's not an excuse to just continue on the way you normally do.
0: Yeah, we... Oh, wow, it's amazing how much I see in terms of greenwashing and... And it's just, it's a hot topic right now, and understandably, because I guess it's easy to, to say you're doing something or tick some boxes, but to continue doing something which is harming the environment. Um, so with regards to surfing equipment, um, and let's talk about, say, surfboards, the materials and the processes and, and what else needs to be measured, I guess, the, the transport and is
1: there other elements Yeah, so uh, there's a couple of types of carbon that uh, an organisation needs to look at or manufacturers need to look at. One is the embodied carbon, and that is the the carbon that is released in the manufacturing of the product. And that, to give you an idea, is that you've got your your blank, you've got the um, uh, materials, the resins, the the glues, um, the the films, or whether it's uh, laminate uh, and fins and things like that that you're going to be using for a board. All of those materials need to be uh, accounted for, and there is a carbon emissions factor for each one of those individual materials. That makes up the embodied carbon of uh, a surfboard and what a carbon cost to manufacture. And then you've got, on the other side, the usage of it. So over time, you'll have the board uh, deteriorate somewhat, um, so there will be leakage. Uh, You may then have disposal so if your board snaps or whatever, it gets thrown into landfill. Uh, so you've got the disposal side. So then there is that, that carbon there. So some of the pre- preliminary research that we've done in terms of boards, uh, your average six-foot board uh, has a carbon footprint, life cycle footprint of around about 260 kilos, um, all the way up to uh, potentially 400 kilos. It's quite a lot, and and and. Um, it's hard to get your head around because the surfboard only weighs two and a half kilos. So to say, well, how does it produce 400 kilos of CO2? Um, it's all the processes, the, the shipping, the freight, the storage, the packaging, everything that it comes in, uh, and then the usage and then the disposal. When you add all that up as a life cycle, that's the footprint of the board. Surfing is something to be learnt and once learnt, never forgotten. And once land never forgotten
0: I've, I've come across a lot of conversations where the overseas versus local production is is debated. Um, in particular, shapers who are making boards uh, are not too happy about the mass production of boards overseas and I, I was wondering if the overseas production versus local production it might seem obvious but is the carbon footprint considerably lower if boards are made uh, close to home
1: yeah that's a really good point um <clears throat> because uh when you, you build when you, you're selling boards and you're manufacturing boards at scale um, typically using uh, manufacturing processes and, and machines and things to uh, to cut and, and shape and do whatever you need to do, and it's normally outsourced. So, when a business is outsourcing, a manufacturer is looking to outsource this stuff. Um, you, you've got a variety of different countries that you can do this in. There's one thing that is always top of mind, and that's the economic cost of doing so. The cheaper you can get your blank into Australia, um, the more margin you make on a board when you sell it. However, there is also that carbon cost. So that carbon cost, let's say you get something, manif- I'm not, not gonna pick on any countries, but um, I'll just mention them out of um, example. So if you get something manufactured in Malaysia or you get something manufactured in um, uh, Vietnam, or you get something manufactured in China, each one will have different rules and constraints around carbon emissions. Now, um, a country that has loose rules around carbon emissions, you most likely be able to get your board cheaper. Um, But in saying that you've now incurred a higher carbon cost to get the product into Australia. So it's something that um, brands need to be thinking about because ultimately consumers uh, at, the, at this point in time in, in the latest research. is around 88% to 90% of consumers now that are factoring in some type of sustainability or climate-related decision-making. And that's filtering down through your clothing, through, through everything that it, consumers are buying. And that includes their surf accessories, surfboards, and things like that. So brands need to be thinking about that reputation and the image that they're presenting to their consumers. So a carbon cost really needs to be thought about. Um, and manufacturing locally, yes, traditionally the, the cost of manufacturing in Australia is higher. I mean, wages and things are higher. Naturally, it's going to be more expensive. But if we can incur a lower carbon cost, we've got to put some type of economic measurement around what does the carbon cost mean. A simple way to do that is say, okay, how do we offset or what is the cost of offsetting the carbon emissions in a, in a low regulated country versus a high regulated country and then you can say okay economically is it going to be better to manufacture it somewhere else so much to think about
0: and what you mentioned about the image of brands i think there's a lot of pressure these days on surfboard manufacturers or manufacturers of anything any product any business really the image with an environmental sense it's it's much more important now than it was ever in history and I think going forward it's only there's going to be even more pressure so I think it's a great time to to get these initiatives going and you talked about environmental regulations or perhaps the lack of overseas and it's interesting because something might get made overseas where the environmental regulations or the carbon cost is lower ironically or sadly the waste issues end up Happening on our shores, so we get lumbered with poorly made or sort of toxic products that we have to deal with over here. So, is there anything that you can talk about with regards to the waste issues and recycling of surfing equipment?
1: Yeah, it's a really good point because see, you're right that the problem shifts to wherever the product ends up landing um, because ultimately the, the life of the product tends to end and we're at, uh, with the consumer. And, and in terms of waste, yes. Um, I mean, if you look at the, the materials that are, that are more toxic, uh, we've then got to come up with solutions to try and handle that, um, dispose of it safely. Um, so it's not leaching or leaking into uh, our environment. So there should be mechanisms and, and manufacturers and um, also brands here should be thinking about initiatives and mechanisms where Uh, the return of used equipment can be recycled in some way, shape or form. So what we mean by that is that there are some things out there at the moment where waste products, particularly with surfboards, are being upscaled. So it would be great to see that adopted more widely. And the return of an old surfboard gives some type of credit um, and then it can then be used to upscale into other products. And and that could be um, things of... We've seen things of... um, upgrading old waste from blanks and things into pavers, stone pavers for your yard. Um, It could be other building materials and that that could be used from old surfboards. Thinking a little bit beyond just your own niche business and saying, okay, well, where else can these products be used? Yeah, I've seen what you're talking about with, um,
0: I think it's Firewire, have mm. turned their old surfboards into pavers. And I think one surfboard produces one and a half of these little pavers. Um, and you imagine if it's getting put into a floor paving system, they'll last for a while, you'd hope. Um, but no, I think that's a great idea. So at the very least, it's not going to landfill. It has a second use.
1: It is important that we subscribe to the requirements of nature.
0: Do you have any tips or ideas what manufacturers and producers of surfing equipment can do before purchasing carbon credits?
1: Yeah, so in the manufacturing process, uh, we're seeing um, technology that's being adopted where they're doing CO2 capture. So what that means is that as uh, a a board is being manufactured, the CO2 that is being um, uh, released in that process, it's being captured within the manufacturing process and then reused um, somewhere else down the line. Um, That's one way the CO2 is still being generated or released in the in the manufacturing process. So that first and foremost is to try and avoid it completely right at the beginning. <laughs> that's the best way. If that can't be done, then it's got to be looking at, okay, how do we reduce it? How do we capture what we're doing and how can we reuse it? Technology is always evolving. So we're, we're seeing that happening more industry. So that's one area where we think manufacturers could probably um, take a second look of how, how to do things a bit better. And other initiatives are around consumer, where brands could advocate for eco-friendly surfers where there is a program around, okay, the type of materials and films that are being used on your board using lanolin um, versus wax. Um, So you don't have wax that ends up on the beach. So there's those types of things and um, educating the surfers on how that works. Um, If you are using wax, use organic or eco-friendly type wax, similar uh, recycled materials for wetsuits, leg ropes and things like that. So there are many options and technology, it's not that we don't have technology, the technology is there. And what we find is that the the prohibitor there is probably the cost. Um, But again, as we mentioned before, is we've got to start looking at carbon cost versus economic cost. There's got to be a trade-off because if we don't, and we just keep going the way we're going. We're, we're going down a pretty dark path.
0: I think the surfing industry is doing a very good job overall with these sort of initiatives, and um, the momentum right now, I guess with surfers, we're more connected to um, the environment, especially the ocean. But from what I've seen, I can see some great examples of really progressive technologies, initiatives, um, all of these things, and I see the, the carbon offsets and the carbon credits as a, an essential cog in the whole machine moving forward. Uh, have you seen any examples recently of, of really exciting technology or initiatives that
1: gives you hope for the future? Uh, we have, and I think um, it's not related to surfing. I think it's something that we're going to see more and more of. Uh, essentially, our, our entire life is being built on carbon. Everything we do is carbon-related. as just a natural part of life. And the way, um, the way the carbon cycle works... I'll go off on a little bit of a tangent, Tom, sorry, but um, the way the carbon cycle works is that we've got uh, a slow cycle and a fast carbon cycle. Now, the slow carbon cycle it takes millions of years, and it uh, is essentially, in our geological make up of mountains and rocks and seabed and, and things like that. And then we've got the fast carbon cycle, which is um, of uh, lifetimes in terms of uh, time. So what we're seeing is that the human intervention and human activity is bringing carbon from the slow carbon cycle into the fast carbon cycle. And that goes into the atmosphere. And because of the, the balancing, Um, The natural process of the slow carbon cycle can't keep up with the absorption of the amount of carbon that's being released. So that's why we have higher CO2 levels in the atmosphere and uh, the the warming of uh, the planet. We've got already a lot of CO2 in the atmosphere. Now, the technology that we've seen is uh, what they call direct air capture. And essentially, direct air capture will... Draw CO2 from thin air. And that's what we really need because in our manufacturing processes and what we do every day, we're releasing new carbon, and if we can stop that, that's great. But we've already got 90% of the stuff that's causing extreme weather events and other things happening already in the atmosphere. So if we can have technology that draws the CO2 out of the atmosphere that's there, it's going to be a lot better. Um, the technology exists. And they've got trial plants in the US and I think they've got some in the UK where the plant draws the co2 Uh, it combines it with um, a solvent to take the pollutants out of it Um, the solvent is detoxified it's actually then used in other processes and then the pure co2 is then um, pumped hundreds of meters into the ground back into the slow carbon cycle which is where it needs to be I wouldn't be surprised in the future if we see in the middle of Australia where we've got heaps of sun and ample uh, ability for, for solar-powered plants like this, just these like these massive air-conditioner-type units just sucking in air. It won't be surprising to see that in the future.
0: Yeah, well, you, you said air-conditioner. That's what I was visualising, like a giant air-conditioner or dehumidifier.
1: Is that essentially what they are? Yeah, essentially that's what it is. It looks like like a big square box, big fans on it. Um, that that draws in the air.
0: Right, I've seen a similar thing, I think a, a prototype in Africa where they're pulling moisture out of the air and it turns it into clean, drinkable water, which is just incredible. Yeah, it's
1: fantastic. What we do in the next few years will determine the next few thousand years.
0: Am I right in saying that um, carbon credits are a bit like a green tax, which organisations, perhaps at the moment it's optional, but maybe in the future it might be mandatory for organisations to to register or be a part of, say, for example, Carbon Halo, what you're doing?
1: I think it's a great possibility for that because if we look at the European market, um, it is actually uh, mandatory and the way um, the European market works as there's two carbon markets. One is the mandatory market and the voluntary market. The Europeans um, operate under the mandatory market, which is a cap and trade type arrangement. Essentially, what that the way that works is that different business sectors have capped limits on the CO2 emissions that they uh, are allowed to emit each year. And at the end of each year, um, financial year or, or calendar year a business needs to be able to substantiate their emissions and if they've come under or over those uh, that cap amount. The way it works is that if a business <coughs> has gone over their allowable emissions, they need to purchase carbon offsets to get them back down to that capped limit. If a business has gone under the cap allowance, then they're able to sell those available credits to a business that needs them. So that's kind of the way it works. And I think if we look at the voluntary market, which America and uh, Australia are currently running, uh, the take up is getting um, some momentum and demand for carbon credits is, we're we're seeing increase substantially. Uh, However, at the rate of reduction in terms of emissions, um, we're just not meeting targets. And I don't think we will meet targets. So as we get closer to 2030, Um, I think we'll find that the Australian government will seriously look at mandating and putting regulations in to ensure that businesses are are compliant. It's probably best for a a business and even individuals just to become aware of our own footprint and get on early, you know, because eventually it's going to be mandated. It's incredible how fast
0: this transition's happening, you know, with regards to reducing environmental impact with products and services and businesses which leads me on to a project that we will be doing shortly with carbon halo and with uh, uts which is the university of technology sydney we will be measuring and calculating the carbon cost of surfboards in the coming months um, which is really exciting and um, i'm looking forward to working with you guys with that do you have any thoughts about this upcoming project
1: yeah, I think we're pretty excited because um, <clears throat> essentially we're going to delve into uh, the components of a, a surfboard, um, the emissions factors of each of these. So it's going to give some pretty accurate information out there for brands to, to have a look at and uh, start questioning, well, what, what, is, what is our footprint? What are we doing? And hopefully that, that's going to drive a different mindset of change. And if we can do that just in a small percentage at least, that's going to be a great success. Really looking forward to sharing
0: the the findings of this report. Richie, thanks so much for your time today. If anyone wants to find out more about Carbon Halo, where can they go? Uh, You can go to
1: www.carbonhalo.com or you can call us on 1300 214 454. Um, Our advice is free. So we we don't charge for any advice. We we want to get awareness out there. Um, And we also help people measure for free um, to a certain point. So we're happy to help wherever we can. This is a Wave Changer podcast. Our mission is enabling the surf community to embrace sustainable solutions and reduce its environmental impact. Attention humans, thank you for listening.